standing, we're going to do our reading. If you can grab your Bible, um, I'll do the reading because I'm going to be skipping around a little bit, but we're going to be doing it from Psalms 51. And I'll start off in, in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Skipping down to verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. And then skipping down to verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Thank you. You may be seated. The title of today's message, if my clicker will work. I think it's working now. There we go. The title of today's message is Cleanse Me with Hyssop. Hyssop. If you have any problems pronouncing the word hyssop, think of these three words, hey, what's up, and then say it really fast, hyssop. So turn to your neighbor and say, hyssop. Everyone, yeah, you're never going to forget the word hyssop. You're going to think of those three words, hey, what's up. Um, so before I get into Psalms 51, uh, I, was, uh, I hope everyone had a great July 4th. I uh, had some time to spend with family and friends, and I uh, had some time to reminisce because, uh, I mean, with work and with school, it's always something going on that you don't really have time to kind of relax and sit back and reflect. And um, when I reminisce, when I look back, I usually go back to a very simple time for me, and this is back in the, in the 90s, and, uh, man, it was so simple. Uh, no cell phones, uh, not really. Uh, social media was limited to America Online, Instant Messenger. Uh, some of you guys may have had those really cool screen names and uh, met up in chat rooms, but that was probably the limitation of our social media. Um, we wore baggy clothes. We wore bright, uh, bright baggy clothes. Um, it, the gas price was like a dollar ten. I remember buying gas for eighty nine cents at one time. Uh, it was very simple. The economy was booming. The New York Knicks were actually a good team to watch. Uh, it was a very long time ago. Uh, They're not in the, going in the right direction right now. Um, but during this time uh, of, uh, of, of great, uh, I guess, the, a great economy and everything with sports and everything, uh, there was one court case that kind of gripped the nation. And if you, if you probably the first thing that comes to your mind is the one I'm going to mention uh, it was the, the O.J. Simpson trial. And uh, 
it was gripping because O.J. Simpson was the All-American, okay? He was from, from high school to college. He was a college star. He, held, he probably still holds a bunch of these records, uh, wins all the awards. He goes to the NFL, does great in the NFL. Um, and, and then even when he leaves the NFL, he's still all over TV. He's on commercials. Uh, he's, they even made a cartoon of him at, at some point. Uh, he was broadcasting. He was on, like, he, I think he, he was on TV as well. He did everything. He was in the limelight. His face was everywhere. Everyone know, knew who O.J. Simpson was. And then all of a sudden, you kind of look and you, you find out that he committed this brutal murder of his ex-wife and another man. And it's, it was such a, uh, such a hit. I mean, it was, it was such a talking point. And like I said, it, was, it gripped the whole nation. Everyone was watching this trial uh, from beginning to end. And uh, it's, it's amazing how someone so high and in, in, in the limelight had such a fall. And I think even us watching this, I felt a little betrayed. I don't know about anyone else. But it's like you have this kind of like hero, this image, and then they have such a fall. Like you couldn't believe what he did. And I guess that's maybe a portion of what the Israelites must have felt when David messed up, when David made the decision that he did with Bathsheba, which led to adultery, which led to murder. David was by any means the Boy Scout. Everyone wanted to be David. If you were a guy, every girl wanted to be with David. He made every right decision growing up. I mean, he came from humble beginnings. you got to love that. He was a shepherd. He didn't complain about it. He did what he was supposed to do. He would fight off lions. He would fight off bears as a shepherd. When a giant came along and everyone else was scared and their knees are shaking, this little boy comes around and says, how dare you make fun of of my God, I'll stand up to him. That's the kind of guy David was. Even when his enemies died, uh, even when Saul died, you would think uh, because he was, after, he was after him, you would think that he may celebrate. Okay, now I'm king. But he didn't. He lamented. He cried. That is the kind of guy David was. And then when you go all the way, if you look in, in, in 1 Samuel all the way to 2 Samuel chapter 10, it's as if David is making all the right decisions. He's winning every battle after battle after battle. It's known that God is with David. I mean, we know David as the, the man after his own heart. And up until this point, he, he's flawless. So what happened? What happened to David? In the same way we were thinking, what happened to O.J.? We didn't really know about his true life. I mean, all we see is the limelight. Like, how could he do such a thing? And then we look at David. How could he do such a thing? And so we, we, we come to this thing called the snowball effect. And uh, uh, my best understanding of the snowball effect is every time 
I go on a diet, all right? So uh, I start on this diet. I'm eating cauliflower rice. I'm eating eggs. I cut out rice. I cut out bread from my diet. Looking great. I know some of you guys are on the same diet I was on. And, you know, I mean, you're doing everything right for days, maybe for, uh, maybe for weeks, if you're lucky or if you're good. And then the kids, uh, they, I guess they, they may leave like an Oreo uh, on the kitchen table, right? So they leave an Oreo on the kitchen table, and then you, you walk by and you see this Oreo, and you're like, well, I mean, there's, there's people starving in India, you know, so what are you going to do? You're going to throw it away? I mean, you can't throw away an Oreo. Uh, they put so much time and effort to make this Oreo. I mean, it's even imprinted on the Oreo. So, I mean, you take a little bit. Okay, fine. You eat one. Okay? And then later on that day, you're like, well, I, did, I already ate the Oreo. So, uh, I mean, if I need to go into the refrigerator really quick and grab something, I don't know, like some juice or something. I've been drinking water for two weeks. Come on, let me grab some juice. And you have some juice. And then a few hours later, I was like, well, I already had juice. And an Oreo, if I have a slice of pizza, what's the big deal? And then it just keeps on going and going. And you can see this little, uh, this little snowball up here just kind of rolls down. And sooner or later, you realize that it has got so big. And, I, and uh, literally, I've got so big that uh, I need to go back on my diet. And uh, everything I lost, I just gained in plus some. So uh, I understand the snowball effect. And when we read this in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the very first verse, it talks about how the army is off to war. They're in a battle. The ark is also with the army, but David chose not to go. In the verse, it pretty much outlined that he was in the wrong location. I mean, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. He was in the wrong location. He should have been somewhere else. He should have been where the ark was. He should have been with the army, but he just wasn't there, okay? Maybe he was tired. Okay, that's that little, a little snowball on the top. Not a big deal. But then, I guess, I mean, being in battle, you need all this energy and that God has given him. And so at night, he couldn't even sleep. So he goes up and he starts walking on his roof, another place he shouldn't have been, and he starts looking. And he sees something. At first it was a glance. Then a glance turns into a little longer glare. And then the glare turns into a stare. And now, and, and now he is looking at another woman who he, at this point he doesn't know who it, who it is. Okay, so now the snowball's getting a little bit bigger. And then he's thinking, well, you know what? I am king. I'm the king. People have to do what I tell them to do. I'm the king. So if, if I want something, I can get it. So then he talks to his servants. And even when the servants acknowledge this is Uriah's wife, it doesn't matter because the power of being a king, the power that... God gave him, actually. He's using it for his own purposes. Like a, like, like a boy going to a neighbor's house and seeing a toy that he likes. I'll have that one. I'll take that one. And taking it. It wasn't love. It was lust. 
And then he uses that power for adultery. And David knows the law better than anybody. And somehow it's okay. Maybe the rules don't apply to a king. Maybe, maybe that was the way it worked. So, okay, I, I, can, I can, as long as no one finds out, as long as I don't, um, don't mess up the relationship between her husband and her wife, it's just the kind of a thing I want to do and I'm done. And then the unthinkable, she's pregnant. Okay. So you think David's sorry at this point? Not really. He's still trying to cover up. He's not sorry for what he's did. He's sorry that uh, he has to keep on doing something to cover this up. Okay? So now he's, he's in the cover-up mode, and the, the best thing he could think of, all right, let's make it seem like Uriah is the father. Let's call him back from war and have him come. But he's so righteous, and it's amazing that Uriah is at a point where he's like, how can I even go back to my house when the ark is out there, when the army is in open field? How can I even think about that? And even that doesn't wake up David. David still thinks, all right, all right, I need to think of a way. I can't lose my image as a good king. So let me figure out a way. Maybe I can get him drunk. I'll get him drunk, and then I'll send him home. And still, Uriah is too good of a man. And then, remember who this character is. David, the Boy Scout, the one who took down the giant, the one that we all love, writes on a sheet of paper to the general and says, leave this man for dead, pretty much. I want, you, I want this man dead. Puts, puts it in a sheet of paper. And what does he do with this? He sends it with Uriah. Uriah is holding on to his own death certificate. And he takes his death certificate back. And because he's a righteous man, he wouldn't even look at it. Oh, this is a message from the king? All right, let me deliver this, this message from the king to the general. He wouldn't even look. But he was carrying his own death sentence. And it, and it was. He gives it to the general. And the general follows orders. And Uriah dies. Up. Oh. Guess it worked. It just led being in the wrong location to lust, to using your power where you shouldn't have been using it, to adultery, going all the way to murder. And this golden heart that David had that we knew, we knew his heart, has been a bit calloused. Every single time this snowball was getting bigger and bigger and bigger, the heart of the king was getting callous, where you could even barely make out the heart. He was losing feeling. He was losing touch. He didn't care anymore. As long as he, as he got what he wanted and the image of him as a king maintained, okay, I'm still a good king in my own eyes. I don't really care about Uriah. I don't really care about Bathsheba. She was just a means to an end. And so David's pure heart, this golden heart, turns into a calloused heart. So we look at this, and then we just read Psalms 51.
that came out of Bathsheba and David. And he, David comes to a point where he says, he identifies the problem. He identifies the problem in verse 10 where he says, Create in me a pure heart or a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He identified that the problem was his heart, and he needed, it. He needed a new one. He needed a new heart. So how did he get to, how did he get to this point? If his, if his heart is so calloused, how could he come to the realization? I mean, that's the conundrum, right? I mean, it's how, if he's the one with the broken heart or it's not working, it's, he doesn't have any feeling, how could he actually write this? And it's, it's, it's pretty amazing how God works because you, you kind of got to think of it like God is, uses a special tool, okay? And much like I, I mentioned a surgeon uses a special tool when he goes into surgery, God also used a special tool that we are all so familiar with in the New Testament, and that's a parable, okay? That's the only way that Jesus taught was parable. We learn from this parable. We learn from, learn from that parable, and we, it, it's, it's actually pretty amazing that we see a parable here. Uh, this arguably could be one of the first parables in the entire Bible, and we get it right here when the prophet Nathan comes and speaks to David. And it's this tool, this, this special surgeon tool that gets through this calloused heart and touches him. And it's, it's actually pretty amazing, too, because this one parable that we get in the Old Testament has a lot of symbols that we see in many of Jesus' parables. We see a sheep. We see a poor man. We see a rich man. We see a traveler. I mean, you could probably pull four or five parables just from those objects. But here he is, Nathan, comes to King David and says, a rich man and a poor man were a part of the the same city, and a rich man had a whole bunch of sheep, and the poor man had one sheep, a baby lamb, and he loved that lamb. When he ate, he was with that lamb. The lamb ate as well. He would sleep next to the lamb, holding the lamb. Everywhere he went, the lamb went. That's how much he loved this lamb. One day, a traveler came to the rich man, and instead of killing one of his own sheep, he took the sheep from the poor man to kill and and to, and to give a feast for the traveler. Oh, my gosh. David at this point, remember what David was when it all began? He was a shepherd. And David knew all his sheep by name. He knows their tendencies. He knows what they like to do. So this parable, this story hits David so hard that his blood is boiling. How dare. He's probably thinking of one of his closest lambs that he held or maybe ones that he slept next to. And he's burning. He's burning with anger. How dare this rich man? He deserves to die. The words out of David's mouth. 
Then Nathan responds in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7. You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his sight? Why? And at this moment, we get this. We get these verses that you may have taught your kids for VBS or uh, for talent competition. And it's sometimes when we have all the Psalms together, um, we lose track of the power behind the psalm. But you have this psalm. You have this crying out of David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Have mercy on me. The irony here. David handed Uriah a death sentence. Here David is holding on to his own death sentence. He's on his hands and he's on his knees. I know what I deserve. I know the law better than anyone. I know I deserve death. Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to who you are. See, David doesn't minimize his sin. He realizes that he really really messed up. Nowhere in here he realizes what he's done. In verse 4, against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. But in these verses, he's not just recognizing how bad it was, but he's recognizing that the only thing or the only one that can save him from this evil is God, the great surgeon. Then we get to this verse. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. During this whole time, you, you think about where David is, hands and knees, crying like crazy. He's broken, he's hurt, and yet he's thinking about hyssop. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Out of all the things, out of all the ways, you can say you're sorry, you're this, you're that, you're whatever. But why hyssop? Why would, he, why would he say cleanse me with hyssop? Why would this be important to him? Maybe he was thinking back in, in Leviticus chapter 14, about how hyssop, hyssop was used to clean someone with leprosy. And so once he was clean, it was done. He was complete. He was good. He can come and be part of the community. Maybe he was thinking about Numbers chapter 19, where there's also uh, a ritual about how 
how you can make someone clean by using hyssop and using a blood of either a lamb or a sacrifice and becoming completely clean. Or maybe he could be thinking about Exodus. At the last plague, the one that completed it was God telling the Israelites to take a lamb, kill it, and take the blood with hyssop and put it on the doorpost, left, top, right. See, at this point, it didn't matter what your position was. It didn't matter if you were eloquent in your speaking. It didn't matter your title. Nothing mattered. Because when the angel of death came by, the only thing that mattered was the blood of the lamb. Nothing else mattered. And you applied it with this hyssop that went on every side of that door. So maybe that's what David was thinking. David was thinking, there is absolutely nothing I can do, any Band-Aid I can put on that can cover me from this shame, from this sin, that I have, that I, this mistake that I have made. But if you cleanse me with hyssop, with the blood of the lamb, and cover me with it, I will be clean. I will be whiter than snow. Every mention of the word hyssop, and even when we talked about in Exodus, there is this association with completion. Once hyssop is used and you dip it into this blood, that's it. There's no more. There's no more that needs to be done for cleansing. You're clean. David's associating this with completion. And wouldn't you know that this mention is not just in the Old Testament. When we go into the New Testament, at the cross, in John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30, it says, Later, knowing that all was now complete, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on, guess what? A stalk of the hyssop plant. And lifted it up to Jesus' lips where he had received the drink. And guess what Jesus says? It is finished. It's over. It's complete. Once hyssop is used with the blood of the lamb, sins are no more. It's over. It's over. And David saw that. Before Christ was even around, David saw that. How much more should we see this? with the blood of the lamb. It's over. It's finished. The words out of Jesus' own mouth, it is finished. 
So we look back. And we look at our own lives. And if anyone here is thinking, well, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't made mistakes. I don't, I don't, I don't really make mistakes. Uh, I mean, um, little one here, little one there, I don't make any mistakes. I'm telling you that your heart has been calloused. You're, you lost feeling already. You've been down this road. The snowball has got too big. For you to think that you have not made mistakes and you're not repenting, and you're not going back to the verses that we saw in the, be- in the beginning of Psalms 51, have mercy on me. I screwed up. But it's not about me. It's according to your unfailing love. Solomon, his heart was calloused. He didn't care. The word of God came to him, and he's like, all right, whatever. When the word of God came to Saul, he made excuses. Well, it's because of this. It's because of that. Psalms 51 was foreign to Saul. He wouldn't say, have mercy on me. OJ still thinks he's innocent. Probably convinced himself. Yet David, David messed up. And he paid for it. He, there were consequences to sin. But God's message to David is, your sin is forgiven. As bad as it was, your sin is forgiven. You've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. I, I'm, I'm pretty much done, and I know we're going to go into the Holy Communion right now. And you may be in a, in a position where maybe your heart has been calloused, where you don't even think twice about taking the bread and taking the wine. Don't even think twice. So, yeah, I, I've been, I was pretty good this week. It's pretty good this month. Maybe you're the opposite extreme. Maybe you felt so much guilt for something that you did or some sin that you're currently in still. And you've been feeling this guilt. So every time that tray comes around, pass it on. Pass it on. I, I, right now, I'm refusing the, the bread of Christ. Right now, I, I want to refuse the blood of the lamb. Because I'm not worthy. Hey, guess what? You're not worthy. It's okay. But the blood of the lamb... It's not who, what you did. It's what he did. Psalms 51, plead out for mercy. Plead out for mercy. And it's not you who makes you clean. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. The word that the Lord laid on me is the day that this church comes 100% unified together. And when everyone who is eligible takes bread, doesn't refuse it, and takes the wine and doesn't refuse it, blessings will pour upon this church.
Can I get an amen? As we go into the Lord's Supper right now, I just pray that these words, this word from God, not from me, fall on you.